said, a day in your courts is greater than a thousand. One day with the Lord is greater than 1,000 days elsewhere. And he said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the palaces of iniquity or wickedness. <laughs> See the same thing with Mary and Martha. And the one sister sat at the feet and the other sister wanted her to get up and work. And Jesus said, right now, she's chosen what is needful. She's with me. She's sitting with me. She's in my presence. You're in Jesus' presence. Did you know that? And did you know that he loves you? Yes. Two of you. Okay. My work here is done. All right. <laughs> he loves you. And the Bible teaches us some very clear things. It teaches us that God wants his people taught. Do you know that? I shared with first service, it's like we put more of a value on entertainment these days than we do on instruction. Say this, Jesus has not called us to be cool. He's called us to be effective. Okay? So say this, if we can be effective and we can be cool at the same time, all the better. Okay? We trade off a lot of times effectiveness for the sake of cool. Hey, we don't want to say things. We don't want to say anything. You know, we don't, don't say it too hard. You know, and, and from the world that I come from, so the teaching that I'm going to give you is, is uh, very solid. And it's, th- say it with me, it's theological. Say it, it's steak and eggs. Say this, it's what Jesus wants. Any people that go to the gym here? Okay, anybody? Right? Right? Anybody, any of us, like, like me lately, I've just been thinking that I'm at the gym and <laughs> wanting to be there. <laughs> Protein builds muscles, doesn't it? Protein, can we agree, builds muscles? Sugar is not really the best thing for you, so a diet of sugar doesn't really do very well for your body. But protein builds us up. God wants His people taught. He says in Romans, how, do, how will they know if they, how will they call on Him whom they've not believed? And how will they believe upon Him upon whom they, if they haven't heard? And how shall they hear, hear unless there's a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? And in Exodus, God is instructing Moses to teach the people. It says, teach the people. Teach the people the Lord's decrees and His instructions. Show them the way, they, the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Jesus wants His people taught. So in the Old Testament, in the New Testament especially, but in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Israel was in a place called uh, the Suborient. Or the Near East, right? So their culture is a little different than ours. We're like a Western culture. We, so the way that they would do things was really, is really different than the way we would do things. The, the things that they value are different than the things that we value. And that's something you see across all spectrums and in all cultures. Different cultures value different things, don't they? Can we get a witness here? Some of you, we're, we're, in, we're in Miami. We're multicultural. And some of you, you see the contrast between the culture of America and the culture that you come from. Some of you, you are Americans and you travel around the world. And you see the contrast between what other cultures value and what we don't value, right? And I remember when we were in Europe, man. I mean, everything closes at like 12 o'clock. It doesn't open back up until 2. I'm like, how in the world does anybody get anything done around here, you know? And, uh, when, and you know what I'm talking about? They do the siesta or whatever they call that. And uh, then there's uh, uh, when we were in Italy... We were in Italy. Uh, none of the restaurants open until 6.30 in the afternoon. Same thing in Greece. Greece, it was like 8 o'clock at night. We're sitting at a restaurant waiting for the restaurant. It's like 7. Everybody's starving. And the restaurant doesn't open until 8. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know? And then you go and get a panini. Like in Italy, you could go to the bar and go get a little panini sandwich, right? And that was about all you had until the restaurants opened at 6 o'clock. In Germany, the stores close in Munich... They close at 6.30 at night. So if you don't get it, that's, that's like a law. The store has to close at 6.30. It's like crazy. So America, it's like we're 24-7. You know, we're like open for business kind of thing. So better or worse, different cultures are different. The way in the Near East that they were taught, um, they were taught, say this with me. Well, we're going to use two Greek words. Anybody want to use some Greek words? You guys want to use some Greek words? All right. That's right. Let's do it. Say this. Didaskos. Okay. And say this one, dialectos. So they were taught two different ways. They were taught dialectic or didactically, which is the way that this is. This format is didactic. Dia, dia, 
didactic. So where you have an instructor teaching, right? It's an instruction. So this is didactic. Then there's dialectic, which is where we get the word dialogue from, which is a discussion. Okay? And the church is in some big argument now. Should we do life groups where we do discussions or should we do church where it's didactic? You should do both. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there was didactic. Jesus was a didactic teacher. He, read the Sermon on the Mount. He taught openly and he was also did it dialectically. You see the questions and answers that go on between him and the disciples. You see the questions and answers that go along with him and the people. So there's different... So what I'm trying to tell you is the way that, the way that God intends instruction in learning to come to us is both didactically and dialectically. And life groups is dialectic. This is didactic. That's dialectic. So if you go to a life group, you know, they're going to talk a little bit about the, this sermon, but there's also going to be discussion. It's not either or, it's and. So I'd just like to encourage you with that. And so, and then also, it was always with deep instruction. Deep instruction. Anybody read the Sermon on the Mount? You guys ever read that? Okay. You ever read anything that Jesus said? Most of the stuff Jesus said when he was teaching didactically, the people did not grasp it. They didn't understand it. We understand it because we've got 2,000 years of commentary about the text. But if you were listening to him teaching, he was teaching deep and profound things. He wasn't up there with pinwheels and smoke machines, and all that. Now, I'm not against the pinwheels and the smoke machines, but that wasn't what he was using, right? He, was, he believes, and Jesus believes enough in his church. I be, Jesus believes in you more than you believe in you. And he wants, us to, he wants the people to be taught in such a way to where they must rise to the level of the teaching. Rather than dumbing the teaching down to where we're just like a bunch of three-year-olds... Know, and, and, and nobody ever grows. The idea of the scripture is to be taught in a high level and that the people are to rise to the level. In the modern church, we don't do this too much because we do it. We're varsity. It elevates varsity. We believe we're varsity. Okay, so we go, we go for the high stuff. That's why we're elevate. Right? But we, we, the, the, the thinking of the pastors is, well, if you teach them too deep, pastor, they're not going to understand it. If you teach them too deep, they're going to find it boring. And I'm like, who told you that? I don't know where you get this. So the last few weeks we've been talking about this idea of being discipleship, being discipled. And say this with me. Discipleship is learning, doing, and understanding. So what it means to be a disciple is we learn. We not only learn, we, we do the things that we learn. Okay. And then another aspect of discipleship is understanding. Sometimes there are things that are not necessarily instructional. They're understanding-based. Like, we understand this. And when we understand this, then that changes our perspective of things. So the last few weeks, we've been talking about human origins, the fall of man. Last week was the need to be born again. And this week, we're going to talk about what happens to us when we're born again. We're going to use a really big word. You guys are going to feel really smart. Quoting Corne Greek, right? Diadastic. Dialectic, you know, and now you're going to use another theological term. Ready? Say it with me. Regeneration. Regeneration. Wow. What does it mean to be born again? Well, one of the things the Bible tells us when we're born again is we're regenerated. What does this mean, regeneration? One of the big points that it means is God has put you into a new generation. You're born again, not of the earth. You're born not of corruptible seed, the Bible says, but incorruptible seed. You're born not of human bloodline, but of heavenly bloodline. You are regenerated. You are no longer bound to the ancestry and the lineage of your earthly ancestors. And for some of us, that's like, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You are regenerated. You are put into another bloodline. You are put into another, another generation. So you're not of the earth anymore. The Christian is of heaven. You're born of God. You are born again. You were born by the blood of Jesus. Royal blood now flows through your veins, not earthly blood. That is important to understand. And it's also important to not just understand. It's important to identify with that. You didn't ask for it. He gave it to you. Anybody here ask, hey, make, make me born of royal blood? Nobody did. Most of us would have been satisfied if he just forgave us. Most of us would be satisfied if he was just accepting of us. But Jesus is the God of the overflow. He's El Shaddai. He's, El, he's all sufficient. He is abounding sufficiency. He's not a minimalist. He's, an, he's not minimal. He's extravagant. This is the God of extravagance. It's not necessarily like he's blinging it. It's just he's got a lot. 
and he likes to share. That's, what extra, that's his level of extravagance. Whatever you need, he's got it. You need mercy, he's merciful. You need faith, he's faithful. You need hope, he's hopeful. He's got it all. He's got it for you. It's yours. He wants you to see yourself and understand yourself as he sees you. Born of the line of the king. You are regenerated. Some of you, that's what you've got to do. You've got to go and you've got to just begin to tell yourself who you are. You've got to reprogram yourself. Our problem is, as we go, well, I don't look like I'm that. I don't feel like I'm that. It, say it with me. It has nothing to do with how I look or how I feel. I am legally and spiritually as he says. It's true. First Peter says you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. That's not them. That's all y'all. Okay? That's those born in Christ. This is who we are. You are his own special people. What in the world? You're special. That's crazy. That you may proclaim the, one, the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the light. This idea of chosen generation, it's the word genos. And it means a family within a species. So all of us are of the species, the human species. But inside the human species, God has put a family. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers together as one. Right? And we are His family. And we are a genos. We are a chosen generation. We are separate from everybody else. And we are not just chosen generation. We are chosen in the generation that we live. And so God has chosen us. We're a chosen generation. We are a genos. We're completely separate from the world around us. And this oftentimes is the conflict. Even though we're born again, there's little to no difference in the lifestyle, attitudes, and actions of Christians as opposed to the non-Christian. Now, I'm not talking about walking around with dragging a family-style Bible behind you everywhere you go with your car plastered to Jesus bumper stickers and you got a cross so that it just bedazzles the room. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle of love, an attitude of kindness, a lot of attitude of compassion, an attitude of spiritual mindedness, an attitude of humility. When you screw up, I screw up. When you make a mistake, you admit the mistake. We, we demonstrate who we are, say it with me, naturally and supernaturally. That's right. We're not only a, a, a family that looks like that, we're also a supernatural family. The church has been given the ability to do something the United Way can't. We're not just a social society. That is not what we are. We have supernatural power, Christian. We have, I'm telling you. <laughs> we have supernatural power. We have the power of the prophetic. We have the power of the decree. We have the power to lay hands upon the sick. We have, the, we have transforming power. Not in a poem, but in reality. We have this. So the church should be masters of relationships, masters of inner healing. That There should be a line outside the door. For the, the, the sick should come to the church to be prayed for. Jesus has no problem with doctors. He has a problem being, come on. That's right, good crowd, there you go. He does not have a problem with, with doctors. He has a problem being second. We go to Jesus first. We don't, when, uh, physicians are secondary. You want a second opinion? Well, we're going to get a first opinion. We're going to go and get a first opinion. My wife had some issues a while back ago, and the doctor's just telling us all kinds of crazy stuff. Right? I'm pastor, I'm man of faith, right? Here I am, man of faith. Ho, ho, ho. I'm sitting in the office, and he tells the doctor sitting across the desk, and he tells Sherry this stuff. And he's like, we're going to have to take your ovaries out. I felt like I was melting in the chair. I was like... What? <laughs> no faith in that moment whatsoever. And the conversation, I'm thinking to myself, man, she must be freaking out. I got to be strong. I got to be strong. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, I got to pray. I got to get in the spirit. I, okay, when I get home, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go find my courage. I'm going to go find faith. I'm going to go to the Lord. But in that moment, I didn't have it. It was not there. And the doctor's telling her all this stuff. And she goes, um... No, we're not going to do that. And she starts telling him all this stuff, and I'm looking at her. She just rose up in faith, and she said, what if the condition changes? And the doctor tells her no less than five times, the condition never changes. And he goes, 
what? She goes, what if it does? He says, if it changes, Sherry, we won't do the surgery. And I mean, he's explaining it to her. Don't worry, we have robots. We do this every day. You know, we got a machine. We're going to go in there like a robot. You know, we're going to take it out. Just and it's kind of like, like they're working on a car or something, you know. And I'm walking down the hallway, and I'm like, how you doing? She's like, I feel great. I feel great. I go, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, the devil's not taking my ovary. It's like, he's not taking my over. And she asked him, she said, what has to happen in order for there to be no surgery? So you have to know, what are we believing for? And she, he said, if it drops below point whatever, whatever, there won't be surgery. But it don't worry, Sherry, it never happens. And the center of the, two, of the cyst had to change. Because they were saying the cyst is all like off and everything like this. And so... They wanted to come back in a week, two weeks. She's like, no, I'm going to get prayer. Sherry said, I don't care. I'm going to fly close, coast to coast. And I'm going to get, if we're going to believe God here. And if I, I'm going to find whoever. And we're going to get my hand, they're going to lay hands on me. And this is the way it's going to go. Well, eventually we had to go for a follow-up. And they do the sonogram. And the cyst had complete, I had it hanging off the front of the, I had the sonogram, the before and the after. Hanging off the front of the table that week. I'm like, before, after, before, after. You know, and the, the cyst literally dissolved and was gone and the nurse at the at the place yeah the nurse at the place was tripping she's freaking out she's doing it like three times she's getting her file she's like she's writing all these notes she goes do you mind if i use this as a case study she's like i've never seen anything like this before and she's just scribbling notes and scribbling notes and scribbling notes we are a genus within a species we are different than the world we not, our faith is not based on our intellectuality. Intellect is great, but we are spiritual people first and foremost. We are born of the Spirit. We are born by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We are empowered by the Spirit. Any questions? I mean, Galatians says, having begun in the Spirit, foolish Galatians. Having been born of the Holy Spirit, having received the power of God, having seen Him working mightily among you, now you leave the Spirit and go over here? Having begun in the Spirit, do you now think you're able to do this in the flesh? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. We're a different breed of people, Christian. Different breed. We're a royal priesthood. You're divine royalty. You are the royalty. I know it's a joke, right? You look in the mirror and I go, I'm the royalty of God on the earth. Yeah. (laughs) He's got more faith in you than you do in yourself. I can tell you that. You are the royalty of God on the earth. What does it mean to be a priest? Say this. I am the royal son or daughter of the highest in Christ Jesus. I am a priest before my father, which means I minister unto him. I receive ministry from him and I release that ministry under the world. That's what it means to be a priest. That's what a priest does. Ministers unto God, receives from God, and then ministers to others. Most Christians can't receive because they don't know how to minister to the Lord. They don't know how to do it. They ever come to church, feed me, tickle me, tickle me, feed me. <laughs> we are, you are to minister to him first. And let's get this straight. Jesus, come on, help me. Jesus doesn't need ministry. But I need to minister to him. And the reason is when you minister to him, you empty yourself of you. That's what worship is. Worship is the emptying of self. So what are you doing? When you're empty, you, there's room for something, right? When you get rid of that big bulky couch out of your living room, you're shocked at how much room there actually is. You're like, wow, this room is actually pretty big once we got that out of here. Some of you, your rooms are, and your lives are packed and your souls are packed with so much stuff and you come and you want something from the Lord, but there's no room for Him to put it. You're so full of you that He can't give you anything. That's what worship is. Worship is the emptying of yourself. That's why we minister unto Him. We release unto Him. We give Him what He's worthy of. Your problems, your questions, your fears, your doubts, your insecurities, your uncertainties. Your ignorance, I don't know. You give it all to Him. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. That's how it works. 
That's why most Christians don't even ignite in a priestly way because they can't receive from God. And it's like because you're so full of you. What would happen if you got here early for worship? Huh? What happened? Oh, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. See, I'm a word person. I come strictly and solely for the word, you see. I don't, I don't, you know, really, I'm not really a musical person. Okay, and you go, well, I'm here every week. Okay, so if you're here, what if you got here early and you came for worship? And what if you actually, instead of observing the band, what if you actually entered into the worship? What if you began to, you are worthy of it all, and you just began to release everything in you to him? What if you began to participate in the song. Like first service, Jody had him going out in the aisle. She's like, okay, we're going to go out in the aisle. I want y'all to dance. And I mean, to their credit, everybody's like, woo, let's go out in the aisle. Some people are like, I'm not doing that. That's not dignified. David danced in his underwear. Okay. Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead. And you can't do this. Come on. You can give me one of these. How about this? Give me something. Don't give it to me. Give it to him. You can do something. You say, I don't want to sing. Here again, this is the understanding. Ready? Say it with me. He never asked me if I wanted to. He commands me to sing. He commands you. Sing unto the Lord. Structured in the Greek and the Hebrew. The Greek's more specific, but the Greek translation is emphatic. It means it's a command. Sing to the Lord. I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter if you feel like it. Shout unto God, all the earth. Give thanks. Make a joyful noise. I don't feel like it. Dance before the Lord. Another command. I don't feel like it. He didn't ask you if you felt like it. He didn't say, be John Travolta. You know what I'm saying? Saturday Night Fever. You know, he didn't tell you to do that. But he told you to move. He told you to dance. He told you to open your mouth. He told you to express. The Bible tells us this. It tells us that when Jesus sees you coming, that's you. Ready? Okay? So I'd just like to talk to the men in the room for a minute. I know this has been a while, so some of you husbands, you might, been, you might have to go back a little ways. But you remember when you were really in love with your wife? <laughs> and she walked in the room, and it didn't matter what was going on. You paused the football game, man. You just said, okay, everybody, I, I, we're going to take this meeting up later. My wife just walked in the room. Remember that? Ladies are like, wow, I do. I can't remember when that was. But anyway, the world stopped when you saw the one that you were in love with. Your child, your little girl. Little girls are really good at this. Daddy, daddy, I need you, daddy. I need you. And that dad looks at that daughter and just goes, okay. (laughs) That's why they tell women, watch your daughters. Watch your daughters. Watch how your daughter interacts with her, with her father, and you'll learn how to love your husband. You'll learn how to interact with him. Daughters are keenly interested in everything daddy's doing. Daughters talk sing-song. Dad's out mowing the grass. The daughter goes out there and starts mowing the grass with him. Crazy, right? But Jesus, towards you, is so glad to see you. How glad is he? The Bible says when he sees you coming. Now picture this. Picture this. You who see God in the dignified way and... That we must worship the Lord in the dignity of holiness. We must do that. God sees you coming. The Bible says he leaps, literally, leaps from his throne. He, ready? I know, it gets really, it gets wilder than that. He twirls in the air and shouts when he sees you coming. When he sees you coming. (laughs) Leaps from his throne, spins in the air and goes, yeah! When he sees you coming. Now, ladies, how many times would you like, Jelly, would you like to walk in the room? Johnny sees you coming, and he's like, yeah! Woo! There she is. And he tells us he sings over us. So he leaps when he sees you. He spins when he sees you. He shouts when he sees you. And he sings. Well, what's he singing? Psalm tells us. He sings the songs of deliverance. He sees you. He gets just, angels, be quiet. Be quiet. The one I love is coming in the room, and he sees you coming. He sees you coming on your worst day. And he starts singing over you. And he starts singing songs of deliverance. Your yesterday is not going to be like your today. Your tomorrow is better than your now. He starts beginning declaring and singing over you the songs of deliverance. Yeah. Some of you, there's a meditative practice. 
You need to just lay out before the Lord and go, Lord, I know you love me. I want to hear you singing over me the songs of deliverance. And you'd be amazed at the echoes you'd start to hear. You'd start to hear the echoes of heaven because he'll, he'll sing over you with gladness. You just got to still your heart and let him begin to sing over you. And you'll begin to sing. You'll begin to hear. You'll begin to feel hope. Hope will rise. Life will come. You'll feel it. <laughs> come on. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> You're a holy nation. So you're royal priests. We have to minister unto him, Christian. If you want say this. If I want ministry from him, I must minister unto him. Again, not because he needs it. You understand that? We have this stupid concept that God needs something from you. He doesn't need anything. Well, I've got to give my money because God needs something from me. He doesn't need anything from you. You need to give it. You need to break the curse of greed off of your life. And you need to drain yourself of the infection that it puts in you. It's true. You need to partner with his nature, his nature's generosity. That's what it is. You don't need to worry. God doesn't need your worship. He's got 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing about him day and night. He's got an entire species of creatures, the living creatures, all day long, all night long. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You think he needs your worship? He's got indescribable creatures around him that we can't even, that the, the writer couldn't even describe when he prophetically saw it. He didn't even have a description for it. Just called living creatures. And their whole job is to sing holiness of God. There's an angel that circles the throne singing and proclaiming. Singing and proclaiming. And he needs you to worship him. Yeah, who are you kidding, man? You are not create you were created for him and by him, but in him you consist. You, we are full of ourselves, and that fullness of ourselves, our narcissism, is what prevents him from ministering to us. You're so wrapped up in your problems. What about giving problems to the only one who can solve them? I have a lot, I've had a lot of difficulties in my life, and I have no words. Anybody know this one? Right? You know this one? You face such difficulty, and people go, well, you just need to pray. You love, don't you love that? Don't you love that? Just pray. Just pray. And you're like, if I could pray, I would pray. <laughs> I don't even know what to pray. Anybody feel that? You have no ability to pray. None. You have no words at all. The words just don't come. You're just like. And God said, I want you to give me the problems and I want you to release my spirit. And so I had a guy come to me one time, and he's telling me about a crisis that I, I too have experienced such a crisis. And he's like, what did, what did you do in this matter? And I said, well, let me give you a little coaching. So this is what the Lord taught me. He said, he told me, you don't have words, Kevin. I don't need words. I want you to release the problem. The spirit world works through releasing and receiving. That's what it works by. If you don't learn that principle, you'll never activate in the spirit world. It's releasing, receiving, and agreement. That's another part of it, agreeing. So there must be an agreement, a bond of agreement. There must be releasing and receiving. That's why we're like, take it off you. We want you to release your insecurity. Release your this, release that. Receive back unto you. Receive the boldness. Receive the fullness. That's the spiritual power. It's in releasing and receiving. Basic principle that we need to understand, right? And so I would tell him, I'm like, I didn't have the words. And so I would release my problems to the Lord. And then the Lord would go, now release my spirit. It's like, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, but my spirit knows what to do, and my spirit knows what to say. Just release him. And you'll be amazed how God works. You want faith? That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like that. (laughs) Because you're trusting him. You have no control. God intentionally allows you. He doesn't do it to you, but he lets the circumstance happen. He allows you to find yourself in situations that you cannot control. Does anybody here like that? I have had many, but we don't like it, do we? If we had our way, myself included, I would like to control everything. I'd like it to work out exactly as I planned, but it doesn't. It doesn't. What priestliness is releasing and receiving, we must minister unto him with thanksgiving. Father, I thank you. This situation looks really bad. But I thank you that I am not alone in this circumstance. I thank you that you are for me and not against me. I thank you that everything is going to change. You minister to him with thanksgiving. You minister to him with praise. Father, I give you glory. I give you glory. You are the awesome God. You are the most high God. You are my father. You are greater than my circumstances. I give you praise. 
You're ministering to him. You're ministering to him. And he's like, that's right. <laughs> Releasing, receiving an agreement. And he begins to move. You, got, you have to learn, Christian. If you're not receiving from the Lord, you're not ministering to him. That's the first thing. You feel like everything's dull and stopped and silent? Minister to him. Bless him. Bless him. Seek his face, not his hand. What we do, we seek his hand. We want the hand of blessing. Hand of blessing. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. We don't go to him and go, Lord, you're just beautiful. I just want to be here and I just want to come before you and I want to love you because you're beautiful. For no other reason. I want nothing of you. I want nothing from you. I now want your hand, Lord. Your hand is good to me. I know you will always extend your hand to me, but I just want to love you for you. Do you know that was a devil's accusation to God in, 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 in the book of Job? He said, man will not love you unless you bless him. And what he was saying, if you can imagine this, this is how high the devil's arrogance is. He's telling the Lord, you're not worthy of love. If you didn't do something for them, they wouldn't love you. You're not worthy of love in and of yourself. That's what he's saying to the Lord. We need to prove that completely wrong. Excuse me for a moment. You are worthy of love, Lord. If you've done nothing for us ever again, you are worthy of love. He's worthy. He's worthy. It's not what he does. It's who he is, man. You're a holy nation, which means you're clean among the unclean. I love this. You're a nation, which means you're not under the government of the earth. The Christian is under the government of heaven. True. We do not operate according to an earthly government. We operate according to a heavenly government. We do as our king decrees. Whether it's popular culturally, ooh, here we're going to go, or whether it's not. We're not of this world. There's too much blendedness that goes on in the church. We blend the gospel with the culture. And we mix something and it's strange fire. We're, of the earth. we're not of this culture, people. We're of the kingdom. Our mindset, our thinking, our choices, our decisions, our actions, everything that we do is filtered from heaven's government, not the earth's. Not the earth's. You're not under that government. You are a nation under the government of heaven. That's why, say this with me. I'm going to use another word, symbiotically. Right? You are symbiotically bound to the gospel, which means your life exists in it. You're symbiotically bound to the kingdom. The kingdom only works to the degree that you operate with it and under it. This is why, this is why, Americans, we need to ask, the American church asks the question, but we form our own answer. We don't even ask this question. The answer is this. The, the question would be this. Why do we not see the power of God operating in the lives of the people? Ready? And the, theolo- and the answer from the powers that be, the cast of so-called leaders within our churches will say, well, it's because God is absent, it's because God is not moving in power anymore, or it's because God doesn't want to. None of those things are true. None of them are true. The power of God operates in accordance with the, with the kingdom. Every promise has an activation attached to it. Every one. Every one. And it, what happens most of the time, and here we're going to come back to discipleship, is say this with me. If I cannot follow a simple set of instructions... I disqualify myself for the higher things. True. Most believers can't follow a simple set of instructions. We can't. And we wonder why everything goes wrong. Okay, here's a simple set of instructions. Our logo, the five dots, is based upon a concept that we have here called the Radical Five. The Radical Five is the five basic things that God expects from all believers. This is not the high standard of the Christian. This is the minimum standard. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give, and our definition of that is the full tithe, and live on mission, which is live a life that reaches those who don't know Christ. Live it on purpose in that direction. That's the minimum standard of all believers. That's not the job of the pastor. That's the job of the people. And when we cannot meet a minimum standard, those five things are what God expects all of us to participate in. You don't have to. He's not going to give you a full Nelson and tell you to read your Bible. He's not going to get you to full Nelson and tell you to pray, which is, book, which is ministry. He's not going to get you to do that. He's not, going to, he's not going to drag you to church. He's not going to reach in your wallet or whatever and make you give. He's not going to open your mouth and shove the words through your mouth to reach people around you. He's not going to. So you don't have to. 
But the problem is, anybody, anybody here like into math and science, right? Anybody here? Right? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So can I learn computer programming if I don't know remedial math, Rudy? If I don't know 1 plus 1 equals 2, would I be able to learn code? Would I be able to learn? Would I be able to program a computer? Probably not, right? Yet we want to program computers, and we don't know remedial math. We don't know 1 plus 1 equals 2, and we want to go out there and, and build the next platform of the Spirit. Or we want some crazy destiny that God has for us, and you should want that. But you need to know what's attached to it. You've got to go back and do the basic things. Get the basic things right. True. Most Christians, 18% of the church tithes. 18% of God's people give the full 10% that he asks for. That's less than 2 out of, 100, two out of 10. 20, 18 out of 100 people actually fully support the church. Most people are tippers. They're not tithers. And there's a big percentage of Christians who don't give anything at all. And you wonder, you wonder, read your Bible, 96% of all evangelical born-again believers have never read their Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That is a statistical fact. 96%. So if you have read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you are in the 4% of evangelical Christians. All right, there you go. That's right. 96% of born-again believers don't even know the Word of God. And we wonder, prayer, that's a whole other story. Have a prayer meeting, boy, whoo, we would have got eight people here? Okay, all right. We only need two, that's all we need. Yeah, but you should come to prayer. Prayer should be a consistent habit of your life. We have, prayer is an essential here. There's a prayer meeting here, there's a prayer meeting here, there's a prayer meeting on the first of the month, there's prayer meetings all the time, as much as we can. Every Sunday we have a prayer team. We have a, we have, there's intercessory prayer before service. You need prayer? Come before service. Well, I don't want to get up that early, Pastor. I can't make it to first service like that. That's a little early for me. Come 30 minutes early and there is a prayer team of warriors who will pray for you. Stay 10 minutes later and there's a prayer team that will pray over you. Come the first Sunday of the month and there's intercessory that will pray with you. Come to the worship night, and there will be prayer for you. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. Just get the Jesus dust and sprinkle that on me. Give me a one-two. That's all I need. Slap me as I walk out the door. Commit and connect to church. Used to be the average Christian attended church 70% of the time. Now it's down to like 56, 46%, something like that. It's less than twice a month that Christians that call their church home actually attend. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the patheticness of the case. It's pathetic. Seriously. I'm serious. This is pathetic. We can't read our Bibles. We can't come to prayer. God help us if we have to come to church more than twice a month. Some people, it's seasonal. Christmas and Easter. And they want a badge. I'm here. Look at me, Pastor. It's Easter. I'm here. I'm like, bravo. Hallelujah. Seriously. You, the Bible says this in James. A double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Let the double-minded person expect to receive Nothing from the Lord. Not because the Lord doesn't want to give it, but because you are double-minded. Double-minded says, God says this and you say that. That's double-minded. Double-minded doesn't mean you're changing your mind. Double-minded is you are contrarian to what God says. God says, come to church. I don't need to come to church. It's me, Jesus, in my Bible. Oh, okay, gotcha. I don't need to give. Okay, good for you. Double-minded. I tell him, you don't have to give. But then you need to change your expectations. You need to change your expectations. Live on mission. We reach people who don't know Christ because He wants it. He wants it. You need to lay your life down and reach other people. How? Any way He shows you. You become all things to all people that you might win some. <laughs> you can, not everybody's Billy Graham, okay? Can I get a witness? Not everyone is the great orators of the gospel. Let me give you the oration of the John chapter 3. Not every one of us is that, but every one of us can invite. Yes. The minimum standard on the believers is that you invite people. Well, I invited three times. 
And they said, no, keep inviting. There's tons of opportunities. For, we try to present opportunities for you to invite people. Not because we feel like creating events. Hey, come to the barbecue. We're going to have a beach barbecue, baptism. Why? We're going to try to put you in proximity of believers. Hey, we got an Easter thing. we got a kids thing. we got a barbecue. we got a hot dog day. What do we do, baptisms and hot dogs here or something like that? I mean, we do all kinds of things just to get you to have the opportunity to invite someone. That's the least you can do. Offer to buy them lunch. I just had a guy last week. He told me, he said, oh, Pastor, I'm working with this woman. She's having a really hard time. She's all this stuff. Her whole life's falling apart. I was wondering if you could call her. I was wondering if you could reach out to her, call her, and maybe appoint her. And I said, A, get her to come to church, and I'll talk to her. She's not going to walk in the door of the church. I, don't, I have time for new believers, and I have time for leaders. That's who I have time for. I'm not going to call your friend who's way out here. You minister to her. You talk to her. You comfort her. And if she wants further ministry, you bring her here. You bring her here. That's what I told them. I said, offer to buy her lunch. Tell her you'll pick her up. You'll drive her. You'll pay for the gas. You'll take her to lunch. You'll do all of it. And I said, if you bring her and you bring her to me and you say these words, Pastor Kevin, this is the woman I was telling you about. I said, I'll take it from there. But I'm like, if you can't do that, and she won't do that, and he didn't want to do it. God forbid you actually invite someone for church. I know it's hard. Oh, I'm the pastor you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get this pastor that I know to call you. This pastor that I know. Oh, yeah, the pastor that you know? Okay. It's our problem. We wear camouflage when we're supposed to wear armor. We're hiding. Hiding. Yeah. You're a holy nation. You're under the government of heaven. You're a special people. Fully, fully owned by the Lord. Summoned. Kale Santas. Summoned out of darkness. Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now releases his spirits to summon all men and women out of darkness. You are summoned by a king. And if you are in Christ, you have obeyed that summoned. summons. It's a divine summons. Jesus isn't going, hey, try me. Try me out. Just want you guys to try me. Like Tic Tacs. This is the gospel we present, weak and pathetic. Just try Jesus. You just need to try Jesus. Jesus never told you to try him. He said, surrender completely. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Well, you know, Jesus is just the best life you could ever live. And he's so loving and he's so kind, true. And he's so gracious. Why don't you give him a try? You don't want me to lead you to Jesus. I tell people when we're doing one-on-one, I go, I want you to understand something. You are giving your life away. Do you understand that? It needs to be understood. We're not trying anything. Salvation is total and complete surrender. It's nothing at all. Amen. I'm just telling you. you can be, we're not converted by the mind. We're converted by the submission of the heart. The surrender of the heart is where the conversion is given. Jesus doesn't say, did I intellectually convince you? Are you willing to try me? Try me out. Try me out. No, he's Lord. He's a king. He's Kalia Santos. He's summoning you. The king is calling you. He's calling you from where you are. He's calling you unto himself. He wants you to give yourself to him. And he wants to give himself to you. I'm in. I've never had a king call me. I don't know about you. Anybody? Mayor calling you lately? Anybody? Your congressman? The king of glory calls you. Proclaim, show forth, erite, the splendor and the glory. Our lives are to show forth the glory and the splendor of God, naturally and supernaturally. It's another story. Got to move. <laughs> we're adopted, so we're regenerated. We're adopted. Good news, people. The adopted are the unwanted. Nobody wants you. Jesus wants you. Happy day. Nobody loves you. Jesus loves you. Happy day. He loves you. He adopts you. We receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters. We're not outcasts. We're heirs. Second Corinthians, come out from them. Kalia Santos. I summon you away and unto. Kalia Santos. Come out from them and be separate. Leave behind the unclean things. And I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. What? You mean i got to leave behind this pile of crap and come to you, and, and I can just confess you, and then I, begin, I get all this? Yeah. Where do I start? Sign me up. Oh, no. I like this pile of crap. I like this junk. 
I've had it with me for a long time. Most of this I inherited. This I got from my grandpa. Look at this pile of crap right here. This come from grandpa. Forsake it all. Pearl of great price, man. Pearl of great price. Sell everything for that field. Give everything up for that field. It's more valuable than you know. And when you're adopted, say it with me. As an adopted son or daughter, I have full rights, full legal rights. That's right. You don't earn them. They're given to you the minute you come to Christ. You're given the title son and daughter when you become, did you come to Jesus? Daughter. You come to Jesus? Son. Full rights of inheritance. You can be standing there in rags. You can be an emotional train wreck. You can be like, I have an inheritance now. Yeah, you do. Right then and there. He calls you who you are long before you get there. He gives you what you don't understand. He gives you what you don't understand. Most Christians have no clue. I was just reading a psalm and it says, Those who are given great uh, position but do not honor it are less than the brute beasts. But the problem with that is, is that most believers don't even know what they have. So it's one thing to know what you have and not honor it. It's another thing to not even have a clue what you have. Jesus has tossed you the keys to a mansion, people. And you don't even know where the door is. Jesus has tossed you the, door, the keys to a Bugatti, a Lamborghini, a race car. And you don't, even know, you don't even know how to drive it, right? If I give my keys to a 10-year-old, right? And I give him this Bugatti, this really crazy, fast, you know, hyper-driven car. And I give it to, a, I give it to this kid. What are the odds that he's going to drive it? Very little. He's going to get in it. He, might, he, he won't even know how to turn the keys. But okay, let's say he's five. Unless he's watched you do it, he would not even know how to get in the door. God's given you keys to things that are more powerful than you. God's given you access to places that are greater than anything you could possibly imagine. That is the truth. The question is, what do I do with what you have given me? Lord, by revelation, this is Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul's praying that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you would actually get a concept of what God's given you. The prayer is, Lord, open my eyes to what you've given me. Open my eyes to who I am. Open my eyes to who you are. Not by, not by reading it, but by revelation. You can read it and get revelation, or you can get revelation, but either way, it isn't going to come without revelation. You're going to have to have an insight and a, and a, cl- a clarity, a divine understanding without it. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're the children of God. We're heirs. What are we heirs of? So we're adopted sons and daughters. We're heirs. Heirs of what? The kingdom. Yes, good crowd. Very good crowd. Let me define kingdom for you. The first part of the kingdom is the promises. Heirs of the kingdom. And in that kingdom, there are promises. Jesus has given you promises. You are the heirs of the promise. The non-believer is not the heir of the promise. They have no association with it. They have no access with it. None. But you do. Galatians says that the, that the blessings... There's multiple words on promises. I just thought I'd throw a new one in here. That the blessings, the bountiful promises of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles through Christ. And that we may receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So all of the bountiful blessings of the Gentiles through Christ come upon the Gentiles. Anybody ever read the bountiful blessings of Abraham? I don't know if you ever did a study on the blessings of Abraham. The brother couldn't lose. Okay? He could do no wrong. He was blessed in his coming in, blessed when he's going out. He made a complete mess. He was still blessed. Blessed in everything you could possibly imagine. When the Bible references the blessing of Abraham, it is talking about the abundant blessing, an overflowing blessing. God is saying that the overflowing blessings of Abraham might come upon those who don't deserve it through Christ. So we are heirs of the promises of God. Find the promises of God, Christian. Know what the promises of God. God has a promise for your circumstance. God has a promise for your situation. God has a promise for you. And usually attached to that promise is a condition. Find the promise, meet the condition, and wait for it. Wait for it. There's promises. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's a promise. No sick's recovered until you lay hands on them. What? Ah. What are you going to wish, wish it away? My God will supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We all quote that one. The condition is found the verse earlier. He's telling them to give to the gospel. 
Give to the gospel. Give generously to the gospel. And my God will supply all of your needs. Somehow we forget that. Read it. Read the verses preceding that, that verse. It's the condition of that promise. There are conditions upon that promise. Just saying. <laughs> so we, have, we are heirs of the promises. Find the promise, meet the condition, and wait for the promise to come. The world. We have authority over the world. Did you know that? The devil's not in charge of this world. The believer is. That is a fact. Doesn't mean we know what we're doing. Doesn't mean we exercise our authority. So if I'm a cop and I'm at a red light and I'm just watching cars go through the red light, how many know that cop has the authority to ticket or stop the people going through the red light? Can we agree with that? But his authority doesn't mean anything unless he uses it. Correct? Come on. Y'all know that. You've blown past uh, cops. It's cops when you're doing 60 and a 45 or whatever. You're like, (gasps) and he chooses not to turn you on. He has the authority to pull you over and you know it. He just chose not to. We have the authority in this world. We have the authority, people. We have the power. We have power and authority. We don't understand it. We don't know how to apply it. That's pretty much the, the, the case. We have a, the devil's not in charge. Jesus, Jesus has given authority to us. Amen. All power in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, you go. Jesus has crushed the head of the devil. I didn't say the devil doesn't manifest. I didn't say the devil's not working. I didn't say the devil's not uh, uh, working among the sons of disobedience and he's not doing things in the earth. Yes, he is. He manifests through sin. Broken people, broken, sinful people, sinful choices, and sinful systems. That's what he's working through. He's working through people's choices, people's brokenness, and broken systems. But the Christian is in charge, whether we understand that or not. Here's a verse for you, going back to the promise of Abraham, Romans 4.13. For the promise was to Abraham and his offspring. That's you. You're his offspring. If any man is in Christ, he is Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So in Christ, you are are a direct descendant of Abraham. You're not a direct descendant of Judah, which is the line of the Jews. Abraham was the descent. He is the descendant of the faith. So you are a descendant of Abraham. The promise came upon Abraham by faith. You were an heir of Christ. For you were born of the seed of Abraham, the Bible tells us. You are in Christ. You're Abraham's seed. And you are heirs according to the promise. For the promise was to Abraham and his offspring. That's me and you. That they would be heirs of this world. We are the inheritors of this world. We have authority in this world, spiritually speaking. You don't know how to do it. You don't know how to operate. If we were to actually teach you what spiritual warfare would be, you think worship's undignified. Where do you do spiritual warfare? That's really undignified. We bind you in the name of Jesus. We command you. You know, now we're really getting undignified. Spiritual warfare. Lord, we just activate the angelic hosts. Lord, we release the warring angels into that matter. We call power down to transform the situation. People are like, you're calling power down? You're, you're talking to angels? Wait, wait a minute. You're getting weird here, man. It's getting weird. You're commanding. Wow, that's a pretty angry prayer, Pastor. Sounds pretty angry. Because it's war, man. Yes. It's war. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to exercise our authority. We don't know how to exercise our dominion. That's prayerful dominion. There's other ways of exercising dominion. That's another one. So we're heirs, heirs of the promise, heirs of this world, and heirs of the world to come. We will inherit the fullness of the kingdom. Jesus will come with his fullness, and you will be the heirs of it. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm super, I'm super stoked to find out what that means. I'm excited. Jesus said, fear not, little ones. It is your Father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom. The Bible says, if you overcome, he that overcomes, I will give to him the rule of the nations. The ethnos. Not just in this world, but the one to come. The sons and daughters will not be floating around on harps, playing harps and floating on clouds. We'll be ruling nations. As the ancient system of satrap, about a king who dispatched his kingdom and the rulership of his kingdom unto governors. The sons and daughters will be the governors of his kingdom. The Lord himself will be the one in dominion, but we will be administrators of his kingdom. It's in your Bible. You will rule. We think we're going to float on clouds. That's why what you do in this life echoes in eternity. Your reward and your position in that life is directly related to your service to him in this one. Directly related. It's not equal. We are equal in possession, equal in position and provision, but not all will be equal in position in that kingdom. But man's hearts will not be greedy and corrupt. We won't have the greed and the corruption when we're given position because we'll be fully regenerated. So we will have the heart of our Father, which when we're given position, we will be servants. 
which is what we're supposed to be now. So there's equal possession in that kingdom. We're going to have equal salvation, equal possession. All will be provided for, but there will be differences of position. There will be. I don't know about you. Let us run the race of endurance that we may obtain that prize. What is my position related to? What is he telling you? It's directly related to the mandate that's on your life. It's not how much you achieve. It's if you achieve in accordance to his mandate. Well, he reached, you know, three continents. You know, I barely reached my backyard. You know, well, Jesus, what was your mandate? Was your mandate to meet your your backyard? Well done, good and faithful servant. Rewarded with much. It depends on the mandate that's over your life. What is mandated over your life? Here again, we come into this, most of us don't know. We don't know. We, listen, say this. I will no longer accept ignorance. We accept ignorance. We're blind. We have blind leaders leading blind people. Not unto salvation, not unto death, like the, like the Pharisees. We have people that lead the people into being born again. But when it comes to leading them into destiny and the fruitfulness of the kingdom, the leadership, unfortunately, of the church is woefully blind. If you come to them and go, what's God's plan for my life, pastor? What's God's purpose for my life? They, they, they don't have a clue. They're barely holding on to theirs if they even know what theirs is. You know you have something more when you're not satisfied. You know it. You know it. There's something in you, and you don't know what it is, and you don't even want to look at it because you know you got to wrestle with it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's ugly. To find out what's in you and what the mandate is upon your life, it's ugly. It's a fight with you. Because most of the time, God's mandate is hidden from us because of of the paradigms of our mind. Our thinking is so wrong that we cannot understand what he's given because we are thinking about him in a wrong context and a wrong paradox. Be transformed by what? Right. That doesn't mean regurgitate scripture. We think the renewing, here's the church, we think, renew your mind. You can recite verses, your mind is renewed. That's not the renewed mind. The renewed mind is when you are living a lifestyle pattern that thinks on earth as it is to heaven. That's the renewed mind. The renewed mind that manifests the mind of Christ in the earth. That's the renewed mind. I'm not saying scripture is not important. I'm not saying the knowledge of scripture. I'm giving you plenty of it this morning. It's of high value. But scripture is foundational. Scripture is the language of the spirit and the foundation of the kingdom. But through the scripture comes the revelation. True. We just, we just settle for wrong things, man. We settle for wrong things. And you can settle. Don't, nobody's making... Listen, don't feel pressure. If you want to settle, go ahead and settle. You can settle. You can be like Reuben and the half-tribe of... What is it? Simeon? They settled on the other side of the Jordan. They didn't want the full promised land. They go, no, we want to settle right here. And you know what God said? Let them settle right there. That's where they want to settle. Let them settle right there. They were vulnerable and susceptible to the enemy... Because they, didn't, they, were on the other, they were on the wrong side of the river. You can settle if you want to. Nobody's making you settle. Or nobody's making you go further. You got that? There's no pressure. Jesus loves you. You're heirs of the kingdom. You're entering into salvation. But as for me and my house, if there's a prize to be obtained, the least, I'm, the least thing I can do is run for it. The very least I can, the very least thing, the very smallest thing I can do is make an effort. You don't want to be there and say, well, I didn't even make an effort. That's the guy who buried his talent. He didn't even make an effort. You don't want to be that guy. You are commanded to discover the mandate over your life. And you are commanded to manifest it. The minimal mandate on all believers is to form a community. This is the minimum mandate of all of us. Your minimum mandate is to commit and to connect to a house where the house is doing something. That's minimum. That's why Jesus said you should have at least entrusted it with the stewards. This is the house of the stewards. That's what we do. This is the collective calling of God. This is, we're all, all, this is beautiful. All that are part of this church will bear the reward of this church. Churches are not rewarded by the size or by their, um, by, by any, by their, their, their reach. Churches are rewarded by the fulfillment of their mandate. That's how God sees. We, we, we see by the measure that, that's obtained. God doesn't look like that. He looks at us in, in light of the mandate. That was given to us. 
gave you this mandate, did you fulfill it? Hello? All right, I'm out of time right now. Last, I'm already two minutes over. I am two minutes over. <laughs> I got so much more to say, and I got to see. All right, I'm done. All right, I'm going to end it with, where am I at? The promise is the kingdom, heir to life. You're reconstituted, Christian. Oh, that's just so good. <laughs> when man fell, we were created as spirit beings, right? So God created man, spirit, soul, and body. Say it. I'm a spirit. I'm a spirit. I have a soul. I have a soul. And I live in a body. That's how man was created. He was created in a, hierarchy, in a hierarchy, spirit, soul, and body. Man's spirit was to govern him in communion with the Holy Spirit. We were always created to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Always. That was our design. So man's spirit in communion with God's spirit. When man fell, his flesh, his carnal nature went to the top and his spirit went to the bottom. The Bible calls us spiritually dead. That's why people without Christ live by a carnal nature. Can I get a witness? Right? As a believer, you have the choice. You can live carnally or you can live spiritually. You're the only ones that have a choice. How many knows as Christians we can make carnal choices? Anybody? Can I? Can I get a witness? Right? Okay. Don't make me get your relatives up here to testify if that's true or not. <laughs> we have a choice. That's why the Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. Because we are the only ones with access to the Spirit. The world does not have it. So God, when we, He reconstitutes us when we are born again, He flips the script. He gives man now the ability to be governed by the Spirit. The unbeliever has no ability to be governed by the Spirit. None. They're spiritually dead. They're in enmity and at an impasse with God. In Christ, we're reconstituted. Our spirit now comes to the dominant position within us. And in concert with the Holy Spirit, we have an ability to be led by a power that's beyond ourselves. Without the Spirit, that's why you're two people. I'm gonna, some of you are going to take a deep breath today. You're two people because your carnal nature, this is Romans 8, 7... In me dwells, you know, I, I, what is in me I want to do, I don't do. What I, what I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's, there's in me, there's this conflict. That's what Paul's talking about. You're, you have your carnal nature, which is always wanting to do selfishly. And then you have your spiritual nature. You have the choice between the two. Others do not. You're repositioned. And lastly, I'll skip that one, and I'll give you this one, and we'll close with this. You're translated. You know what translation means? To understand something from another language. To see something from another point of view. That's what it means. So the Bible says, in Christ, you're translated. What does that mean? Colossians says, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of what? There's our word again. Inheritance. You can't swing a cat in the New Testament without hitting the word inheritance. Inheritance, 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 heirs, heirs, inheritance, inheritance. It's everywhere. We are called to be partakers of his inheritance in the saints with the light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son in love. God has translated you. He has redefined you. He no longer sees you as a sinner. He no longer sees you in darkness. He sees you in an entirely different way. He has translated you. That's not just moved you positionally. He's moved you from an identity standpoint. He does not see you that way any longer. I'm a sinner. Says who? Who told you? Who's the sinner? Kevin, you're the sinner? I don't see a sinner. He doesn't see you that way. This is why when you come to him as a victim, he doesn't recognize you. I tell Christians this all the time. You're going to come to go, oh God, I'm just so pathetic. I'm such a loser. I'm just a big old God. I'm just so victimized. Would you, could you, should you? The Lord's like, who are you? Who are you? He does not know you. You are a daughter. You are a son. Stand before your father. Take your rightful place and claim what is yours. True. Translated, Christian. Redefined in his eyes. The only people that sees you any less are you and the devil. The devil's never going to tell you you're a son. You have to tell him you're a son. The devil's never going to see you as a daughter. You have to tell him you're a daughter. The devil is constantly reminding you of who you were. The devil is constantly trying to reframe you into the past identity. He knows that he can defeat you, and he knows that your prayers now are powerless. He knows that. If I can get you to partner with your old identity, God's not going to hear him because God doesn't recognize him. And then he's going to feel even more like a loser because God's not answering his prayers. 
And then he's going to lie on top of that. See, God doesn't love you. You're right. You're a loser. Just like I told you, you're a loser. I'm a loser. Oh, God. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Stand on your feet, sons and daughters. Take your rightful place. It's true. You are in his son in love. He has nothing but love for you. Nothing but love. Love is the highest good. Make sure we understand that. Love's not an emotion. So Jesus isn't up there going, Ooh, I just feel the warm fuzzies about you, Kevin. He's, his love is intentional. It means I am after your highest good. Everything I'm doing in your life is to take you higher. Everything I'm doing in your life is to transform you. That's love. We are in the kingdom of his son in love. So everything God is doing is for your good. He is working for nothing but good on your behalf. He is for you and not against you. And it's possible by the blood. And with that... We're going to transition. <laughs> We're going to transition into communion. Jody is here. That's so awesome. Jody's going to leap from her chair, twirl, shout, and sing songs of deliverance just like her father. Aren't you, Jody? No, I'm just kidding. Totally. Do you want to minister? Sherry wants to minister to you guys. So you guys want to receive something? All right. It'll be short. It won't be long. We're going to do communion first. Okay, so let me get pray over the communion. Jody's going to pray. Jody's going to uh, play. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray over communion. And as I pray over, after I pray, just make your way up, grab the communion elements, and bring it back to the seat with you. And we'll take it together. So let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for these beautiful people, God, whom you love so greatly. We thank you that you are for us and not against us, Lord. We thank you that you have removed the offense between us. And you've brought and restored the relationship. And it's because of your love, Lord. It's because of your blood, Lord. It's because of the body that you gave on our behalf. And we are so grateful. And we as your body, God, celebrate you. And we ask that you would bless this communion as we take it together in common union. Common union with each other and common union with you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.